yeah, that's great. Yeah, uh, lovely. And Rory, Rory, of course. I mean, there was no way I wasn't going to pick you because you, you mean, you know, you haven't won a major in fifteen years, but you know, you're still a banker. Um, yeah, I think you know, I think um, you're coming into a Ryder Cup. You know, you need um a player. You need a player with you know form and stuff. And while I might not have won a major, you know, I did. You know, I played well at the Masters. I know I didn't win. I played well at the PGA. I didn't win. I I played at the U.S. Open. I didn't win, and I played at the Open, and I didn't win. So I've been very consistent. <laughs> you know. And I- Yeah, that's just a little taster of my conversation with the impressionist Connor Moore, the master golf impressionist. Um, and coming up to the Ryder Cup, Ryder Cup weekend, we put out a bonus Ryder Cup special. Um, and I would encourage you to jump onto that because Connor and myself had loads of crack. And you'll hear all the um, impressions there. Poulter, uh, I love his Justin Rose, actually, even though Justin Rose isn't playing this weekend. And of course, his masterful uh, Tiger Woods. Uh, get a load of that. And it really whets the appetite ahead of the golf this weekend. Um, But speaking of sport, my guest on this newest episode of the Mario Rosenstock podcast is one of Ireland's greatest ever athletes, Dervil O'Rourke. Boasting a string of medals from major national and international competitions, including three Summer Olympics. She retired from athletics in 2014 and went on to set up her own very successful business, Dervil.ie. You'll also know her from Ireland's fittest family, where she battles it out with Davy Fitz and Donica O'Callaghan. And, uh, of course, the TV coverage of the Olympic Games uh, this summer where herself and Sonia O'Sullivan were in fantastic form um, with the likes of Rob Heffernan as well. And I really enjoyed um, that coverage all throughout the summer. But aside from all that, Derville is just good crack to be around. A real dry sense of humour. And we had a lot of fun when we caught up on this interview. But then they go from taking it really, really seriously to just going bananas. So it's two extremes of a village. It's like... A village of Ibiza meets a village of Ray Darcy in one place. <laughs> and often, like, Ibiza and Ray oh. could be sharing an apartment. So it's like these seven yeah. beautiful, dry women walk off the bus, and I'm there soaked, so Irish, you know. And I'm also slightly mortified, <laughs> and I ran horrendous, right? And I think it was mainly because I wanted to have a cry. She was still then and still is now one of my heroes. Like, and I emailed her asking for all this advice, and she sent me that back this amazing answer. Really, really helped guide me. So I was there over a glass of wine, telling her this recently. I'm like, oh, you know, you're so you're so helpful. And she genuinely looks at me and goes, God, I don't remember that email at all. <laughs> but before we jump into my chat with Dervil, let's go back to the Ryder Cup for a moment because. It's all everyone is talking about this weekend, unless I'm dreaming. Maybe I'm just turning into an old fuddy-duddy. But um, I do think it's a great sporting event. And uh, it's got all that, all the ingredients of great sports, you know, tension, soap opera, drama. Um, and it's always close or generally always close anyway. Um, so it is a terrific sporting event. And of course, uh, as you might expect from me, all my podcasting friends have begun talking about it. <laughs> Hello, you're listening to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, the Ryder Cup starts this weekend, and with me to talk and to look ahead, I'm joined by one of Ireland's greatest ever golfers, the great John Giles. Hi, John. Hi, Eamon. John, what does it take, in your considered opinion, to win the Ryder Cup? Well, simple, Eamon. People try to complicate this, but you've got to get the ball into the hole. Yes. You can't win a golf if you don't get the ball into the hole. No, and that's actually incredibly perceptive, yeah. John. 
Now, the team that gets the ball into the hole in less shots than the other team, I think, will win the Ryder Cup. Yes, you think? Yeah. Now, it stands to reason, Eamon, so... Yeah, I've never heard yeah. it expressed that succinctly before, though, John. No, no. Liam, Liam's there with this Liam Brady, one of the great Irish golfers as well. Liam, what would you agree with, John? Yeah, Eamon, John's spot on. He's hit the nail on the head. You've got to get it in, yes. though. John... I put yeah. it to you, what about the guy who can get it near the hole? No, no. If you just get it near the hole, you're going to have to take another shot to get it into the hole. And that's, you know, that's not the game at all. Yes, no. yes. Now I see I see your reasoning. Okay, thanks, yeah. John. Yeah, yeah. Who do I invite, Simon? Uh, Tesco, baby. Yeah, thanks, Simon. Not only Eamon Dunphy, but Nicola Talent, Crime World correspondent with the Sunday World, was talking about it too. I'm Nicola Talent. This weekend, two of the most brutal crime syndicates in the world will come face to face with each other. Carrying nothing but iron sticks and wooden clubs, some of Europe's most ruthless psychopaths, including Rory the Wedge McElroy, Shane the Hacker Lowry and Sergio Dogleg Garcia are threatening to unleash a wave of destruction and ambush their American counterparts. Led by El Chapo, Padraig the Accountant Harrington and assisted by a mysterious figure known only as the Caddy. This weekend will be the gang war to end all gang wars. And of course, two of my favourite podcasters. The guilty pleasure that is Vogue and Joanne. Vogue! Joanne. Have you seen this porn convention thingy over in America? Porn? All these owl lads going on about going at it for the whole weekend with each other. Bunch of skanks. No way. Talking about getting into foursomes with each other and everything. One old lad was talking about having a four ball with himself and his mate. I think they're absolute swingers. Oh, go well. Talking about swinging with his driver. Uh, Well, the other lad takes out his wood and goes down the shaft. Christ. Joanne. They're nasty as hell. Another skank with a baseball cap Uh, talking about getting it in the hole and being good in the sand with a sandwich. Joanne. Jesus. The last time I had a sandwich was with some dude called Stavros on a beach in Ionapa. They're talking about golf, Joanne. No, it's not golf. It is. It was a porn convention. No. They're talking about having it every two years. The Ryder Cup. Uh, Sorry? That not a porn convention. No. Uh, the Ryder Cup. Yeah. You need another vodka, girl. <laughs> We're all riding each other silly. <laughs> <laughs> and you will get a brand new comedy sketch, at least one, sometimes two, uh, every week exclusively here on the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Just subscribe. Follow me for free. Subscribe. Give us a rating. Uh, jump on. Um, have a look. Uh, we really appreciate it when you rate or even leave a comment. Or you can contact me directly. If you want to do that, all you have to do is jump onto your email, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. Drop me a line. Tell me what you think of the podcast. Tell me if you have any ideas for sketches or new characters that you'd like me to develop. Tell me if you have any criticisms or uh, encouragement or encouraging um, sentiments to raise about the show. Now, do you like coffee? sure maybe you're having a coffee right now listening to the Mario Rosenstock podcast. Well, our friends at Sage Appliances, who make great coffee machines for home baristas, have carried out some fascinating research. It revealed that the way you make your coffee at home and the kind of coffee you make actually says a lot about your personality. I didn't know that. Kind of like the way your pet dogs look a bit like us um, after a while. You know, the way you see somebody and you go, their dog kind of resembles them in a way, you know. Our home-brewed coffee share some of our character traits as well, apparently. I had to test out this theory. I really did. So I called up some of my good friends on Zoom. Roy, thanks a million for doing this. No problem. Um, How do you make your coffee? I'll just keep it simple at the end of the day. So a cappuccino? Just one shot. Just get the shot in and move on. 
and sugar no, or... No, why would you want sugar? I see mm. lads talking about milk and sugar all the time and cinnamon. Mm. I saw a lad putting butter in his coffee the other day. <laughs> How can you drink buttered coffee? Okay, so basically... Keep it simple, yeah. black, slightly bitter, scalding, get it done, put it away. Job's done. Shh. Prime Minister uh, Boris Johnson, um, your go-to coffee? Well, 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 ideally, it will be a macchiato, americano, frappa, mochaccino, ipso facto, chamba wamba, caramelato, infused with a vestigio of taramasalata in excelsis, right. frappa, chapa, wappa, chamba wamba. That's just a made-up coffee. Of course. Shh. Jurgen Klopp, um, I'm a big Liverpool <laughs> fan, and I never knew you were a, a yeah. bit of a home barista. Yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, where do you think I get all the energy for all the, yeah, you know, the, the of course the manic jumping, yeah. and the shouting, and yeah. all the gnashing of teeth, and yeah. the smiling, and the laughing, the <laughs> laughing, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? Is there anything to it? Does the research hold water? You decide. Uh, but listen, how good a home barista are you in any case? Sage Appliances and Curry's PC World want you to tell us how to make the perfect coffee at home. Do you think your skills make you the hashtag home barista of the year? Well, here we go. Submit your videos or photos publicly on Twitter and Instagram using the hashtag home barista of the year for your chance to win the ultimate home brewing setup with Sage Appliances coffee machines, Curry's PC World vouchers and yearly coffee subscriptions worth over, listen, €10,000. All of that up for grabs. And don't forget, we're also giving you the chance on the Mario Rosenstock podcast to win a very fancy HP Pavilion laptop courtesy of Curry's PC World. All you've got to do is share a story from your school or college days with me on a voice note. All of the details are in the notes on this episode down below and on my Twitter. Thanks. Right. I wonder how Derville O'Rourke makes her coffee at home. Probably very strong based on how fast she can actually run. But she joined me from her office in her lovely home in Cork. Her mum was downstairs minding her two young kids while we had our little chat. So we got chatting about kids and work and all that. And then we got to the topic of how she met her husband. And it's a great story. So that's where we'll join the conversation. Not that I'm a stalker or anything, but I do try to do a bit of research on every guest I have on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And I did do I, I did do a bit of stalking. And um, your, the way you met your husband was quite interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I had just run in the Olympics in Beijing. And I really, really thought, well, I didn't really think I'd get him. I really wanted to get a medal. Um, didn't necessarily mean I thought I would. And it all fell apart. Didn't get a medal. Ran terrible. Got sick and injured. The usual crap that happens sometimes. And I was so negative, like, and I remember, I remember going to the closing ceremony and my husband was there who obviously I didn't know at all. And he just turned, I don't know if you read this, so I don't know if I tell you a totally different version of, it, of what you've read somewhere. But anyway. No, somebody who knows you personally told me. Okay, probably right. Um, but <laughs> so anyway, I was, in, I was in the closing ceremony and this random dude like on the Irish team was like, it's so typical. He goes, are, are you from Cork as well? <laughs> and I was there sorry like and I was almost like irritated that someone is even trying to talk to me because I felt like he should appreciate my dark depths of depression and my post-Olympic failure that like why are you even talking to me I'm clearly a dark cloud of negativity and I was just looking at him I was like 
yeah like but in my head I was like that's not what's relevant about me right now what's relevant is my failure like why why are you trying to relate to me about my homeland so I was like yeah and you're just it's so random you're there in Beijing in the middle of this big massive um stadium with all these people and then we got into this really weird dark conversation where I was like imagine if they just never let us out of here if we had to all these Olympians live here forever and people just came to see us and just like, we're like, they're all the Olympians from 2008. And he was like, hmm, that's a bit of a random thought. So anyway, that was... Like weird. zoo animals. Yeah, like we're just Olympic animals that live there. And so that price mm. is a lot about my mindset at the time of where I was mentally. And we left. And then I remember, like, desperate. Oh, I also said to him, so it's really another... Because I don't know which bits Marie told you. So I also said to him, oh, are you one of those horse people? So that's the other thing about the Olympics. Like, the athletes are the people at the Olympics who love themselves the most so like we think mm. athletics is the most important sport like we do that's mm. no point me lying there so we're like oh there's athletics and then there's all the other sports so you know those sports that happen the week before the athletics it's like a warm-up and then this dude practice. i'm with you i i think all those dudes who grab random horses and then shoot pistols and then jump in the in the in the swimming pool are com- complete non-athletes i mean Natalia they are just sub subhumans I they're mean, subhumans what is natalia doing with all that ability and all those different things um, make up your mind shoot the horse sh- throw the horse in the swimming pool whatever but just not these stupid events run straight jump over hurdles I mean, so yeah so you regarded yourself as a sort of these superior creatures and he was just a horsey guy or something was he he was actually um, he's a sailor yes yeah, so it turned out that in fact he didn't have anything to do with, with jumping on a horse and he was like no I sail a boat and I was there oh sorry like how would, like, how would I know I do track like god and then anyway Rob Heffernan He's a really good pal of mine was like, are you coming to the bar? Like, like, so Rob was like ignoring him, trying to make plans to go drinking. And I was there. Yeah, look, grand, whatever. Like, nice meeting you, horse, sailor person. See ya. And I just headed off to the Irish bar with Rob. And then apparently he was in the Irish bar and I also didn't really talk to him because I was again, I wanted to be around people who would see my darkness of my failure and just be in the dark failure. I didn't want to be around anyone who's going to be too nice to me. I was like, I don't need that. I need, and like Rob is that person. Like when you're dark, Rob is the person to tell you how bad it is. Like he's just like, you are, it's game over. Like, which is what it's really bad, Derville. It's really, really bad, Derville. It's, you're feeling really bad, but actually you're right to feel bad because it's fucking terrible. You really failed. (laughs) You failed badly, Derville. Do you know what he actually said to me? He said, and I told, and he doesn't remember this. He said, do you know what? No one else is telling you, but you're fucked. <laughs> that's how I feel. He goes, but you're right, like, because you're fucked, and like, you have twelve months to save your career, and after that, it's game over. Like, and he's like, even at that, you very little chance. And I was there, right? Okay, so that's the world I wanted to live in. I didn't want to be with Peter's positivity, which is how it felt. And then I got onto the plane the next day, possibly a little bit hungover. And you're just given a seat. You couldn't you couldn't get whatever seat you wanted. I wanted to go somewhere with negative people and I couldn't. I had to go by my surname. So I was O'Rourke. He was O'Leary. So I was in a row with him. And there was this other guy. And I remember I went down and they thought I was going to sit by the window, right? On a long haul flight. And I just walked in. I just, I just looked and I was there. I'm not coming across here. coming across the real arsehole. But anyway, I'm much nicer now that I'm retired. So I was like... I can't sit by the window for all these hours. And like he just said here, he just said to the other guy, 
just push over there by the window. So your man pushed over by the window and I ended up on the aisle, Peter in the middle. And he'd also, apparently he had just taken a sleeping tablet as well. So he was trying to fight like <laughs> the fact that he'd taken a sleeping tablet. And then I end, we ended up just getting on really well. And, you know. How long is that flight? Yeah, he had to deal with me for about nine hours, nine to ten hours <laughs> of dealing with me. And like, I think he, I think it was about hour four or five, I started to realize my dramatic darkness was probably not as bad as I thought it was. And that maybe, in fact, I wasn't a complete waste in society. And there was some hope of me salvaging some sort of career. And if not a career, maybe a bit of joy. I think by the time, but the flight stopped in Germany. And this is the funny part that these are all the little parts of my feelings I think people never think about. I, so the flight was about to land in Germany. And I just said to him, anyway, listen, it was nice meeting you or whatever. And he was like, but you were flying on to Dublin. And I said, oh, there's no chance I'm staying on this flight. He was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I'm not getting off a flight with everyone who did really well. All the boxes had done amazing. And like, I was, I was amazed at the boxes. I was delighted they had done amazing. But it wasn't helping my negativity of darkness of my own career. So I was like, I can't be part of their celebrations. So I literally got off the flight in Germany headed off to meet a pal of mine and I was gone out the gap I was there listen I'm out the gap I've saved myself here good luck and that's how we, that was a lot of the reason how we ended up messaging because I said to him send me a text and let me know how the landing is in Dublin because I was like they'll do the whole medalist to the front sub performers to the back of the plane let's bring out all the medalists and the joy <laughs> yeah. and let's kind of try and tone down the ones who are a bit sad down the back um yeah. so yeah so we started texting after that and then then we just started started like meeting up and having a laugh yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I don't usually talk about romance on this podcast, but you're, you, 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 you describe it really well. So it was like a nine hour Derval induction course, really. I think it was going to go one way or the other. I think he was going to come off the plane and either absolutely be allergic to me or think oh, that was that was kind of interesting. Um, and also because it was so long, like, you know, when you're kind of like meeting people at the start and you have to hide your real personality like because it was so long I couldn't hide it for nine hours so I was just rant, ranting about random things for the whole nine hours well maybe I wasn't ranting so much I'd love I think I must listen to his version of this I must ask him so much yeah exactly whatever you did it paid off with each other um but listen you, you with your cork kind of causticness um which I'm very well aware of because <laughs> I went to school in cork and I just I, I I learned it all there myself um you know you were being unfair to yourself and everything um I'd like you to describe, if you can, just this is just literally almost give me a list. What was a really brutal day in the life of a top class athlete? So, in other words, um, a really, really hard get up, Dala, what time, do what? I'm trying to get into my mind that monkish atmosphere, the monkish lifestyle that you might lead. What is a typical, really hard, like, let's say, yeah, this is pretty much what it is. What does it look like? I honestly think, though, your definition of hard and mine are different. So, like, a training day for me was never hard because I enjoyed the process of training because, like, I loved to race. So I knew if I trained really hard, I got to race, and racing was, like, was kind of the reward for training hard. So, like, when you say, like, you know, the really hard ones, like, straight away when you're like, what is a hard day? Like, what comes, honestly, what comes into my mind is, the hard parts for me as a top athlete were you're flying to all these different countries most of the time on your own and I remember flying to Sweden to run a race and I flew to Sweden 
um, to run this race and I was on my own and got off at the airport and then you're on like a five hour bus trip to get to the track where you're racing um, get to the hotel, didn't know anybody at all to meet um got there and I'd been really injured so the whole time you're on this flight so you're having like this day on a flight then you're having this time on the bus you have all those crazy thoughts going around of like oh god I hope the injury hasn't impacted me and then you're like okay there's 22 days to European champs and how many hours is that and you have all this time on your own in your own head um which I think was the really hard brutal days it wasn't the days where you were going to the track and it was lashing rain and you were like puking in a bush because you push yourself so hard that's fine that's all very kind of easy but I find the days where you're like things have gone badly and you're very alone with your thoughts and then you're trying to go somewhere to do something that gets you a step closer to where you want to be which for me was racing really well so I remember going to this race in Sweden probably this is probably one of the worst athletic days of my life and got there and it was really brutal travel um got there and it just started like torrential rain right and you've gone hours and hours of travel have been injured and also like when you're doing what I used to do you're running flat out at a barrier so like it's madness kind of at the best of times in torrential rain it's like some sort of lunacy altogether like you're there going and you're standing there so you're trying to lie to yourself you're like the rain is grand honestly the rain's grand I actually like rain I'm from Ireland rain's good I've always been in rain and then the other voice in your head is like rain's a disaster you've just had a hamstring injury you're gonna slip into a hurdle this is the end so you've all like honestly it's the mad voices like and then you're like trying to like settle down so anyway I was at this meet and I'm like soaking wet and I'm warming up for the race and I'm trying to ignore the rain I'm like ignore the rain ignore the rain no you've been injured it's fine and then next thing I realized, like, where are all the other hurdlers that I'm running against? And I couldn't see them. I was like, stay focused, just concentrate on yourself. And next thing, it's 10 minutes before the race. All the hurdlers come out of a bus completely dry. It turned out there was an indoor <laughs> warm-up area. And I had gotten off the bus at the wrong spot. And none of them had like a told me. Dog. So they'd let me in torrential rain, warming up. And next thing, they all stroll off. And, like, I always think in, like, sprinting, like, 100 meters hurdles like the women are quite glamorous so it's like these seven yeah. beautiful dry women walk off the bus and I'm there soaked so Irish you know and I'm also slightly mortified because <laughs> I'm like oh my god how did I not know and this was well into my career like when I was quite good and I ran horrendous right and I think it was mainly because I wanted to have a cry I ran so badly <laughs> on my own. And I remember just ringing my coach from Sweden and like I was crying so much. He thought that I had fallen and he thought like he was like, something's dreadfully wrong. And all I could get across was that I was really wet. Like my knicker shorts were so wet and none of the girls told me anything. And it was just so mean. And I was probably 25, like 26 at the stage. Who knows? But so those are the really hard days. I'll be honest. It's not the training days. It's like you race, you race, 50 times a year and for me generally like 46 or 47 of them were pretty average sometimes really bad because I was a good championship runner but not a brilliant circuit runner so I found those days hard so that's a really random brilliant answer. you know you painted a picture there the little wet Irish <laughs> wet Irish dog soaked dog in the rain uh, yeah absolutely poor little pooch um do you know what Derv there's um there are a few. There are people listening live to this podcast. I I ask. I ring certain people and I ask them to listen live to the podcast so that they can ring in and they can oh, ask yes. you a question. Is, is that okay with you? That's fantastic. Is is that all right with you? 
I love fans. So, uh, you know, I love fans. That's okay. We act- so we have um, actually Kenneth Kenny Egan is on the line, and uh, he'd like to talk to you as well. So say hello to him. Hi, Kenneth. How are you? How are you doing, Darvla? <laughs> Darvla, sorry. It's okay. Have you been calling me Darvla all time? Yeah, well, it's Kenneth, right? Not Kenny. Uh, listen, Darvla, you and I were on the same flight back. Well, it was one of the successful ones. We actually won a medal. Uh, we have great memories of the Olympics in 2008. And uh, especially the Olympic Village. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but I remember, uh, distinctly remember Roger Federer coming in at five o'clock in the morning with 20 John Player Blue stuck down his pants. Rafael Nadal with a, with a, don- with a donut kebab shoved into his mouth. And both of them absolutely arsehole. <laughs> Do you remember any uh, Olympic Village stories yourself? <laughs> Cheers. Kenneth, I do remember you and Thanks, all, all the boxers having a really good time in the Olympic Village and me feeling really sad that I couldn't have a good time with you. But um, yeah, yeah, but he, he does ask a good question, Derville. I mean, you see, you're, you're kind of with all these sort of, some of them are, you know, some of them are just mega superstars. You know, you have people like Michael Johnson walking by you and things like that or people like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. You do, I think when I went to the Olympics in 2004, that's the person I was. I was like, oh my God, I just want to see a celebrity. Like, I want to get see a celebrity <laughs> yeah. and see are they real? Are they real people? And I saw Serena Williams and um, mm-hmm. I thought that was very exciting because she was so, and all, all the tennis, female tennis players were so big, like, as in so tall, yeah. such like broad shoulders. I was like, these women are unbelievable. Um, I was very excited about about that in two thousand and four. Um, I'm tr- I just think the madness though of an Olympic village. It's like taking all these people who take what they do really, really seriously, even though what they do is often like like what I did, jumping hurdles. It's a little ridiculous. If you take it so seriously, and then you put them all in one village, and it's just really random to see them on bikes, branded Coca Cola bikes, cycling down the road. It's very confusing. But it's, it's very intense. It's like a village of Ray Darcy's. It's, 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 it's just everybody's taking everything way, way too seriously for their own, for their own good. But then they go from taking it really, really seriously to just going bananas. So it's two extremes of a village. It's like a village of Ibiza meets a village of Ray Darcy in one place. <laughs> and often like Ibiza and Ray oh. could be sharing an apartment so there's a yeah. Bitha in one room and Ray in the other, and it's it's mad. So Ray Ray starts off in the Olympic Village and he goes, "Okay, I'm having one piece of hake for my breakfast this morning," and then by day thirteen he's, "Let's go to fucking manumission!" Boom, 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 boom. Is that it? He's all, ooh, 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 ooh. yeah. They go mad, mad. And was there shenan? Can you remember? If there was talk around. I remember at the time of loads of shenanigans in the Olympic Village. Was everybody hopping on each other? Yeah, there's, there's always talk of that. Um, I had a conversation about this recently because we have a theory that the Irish team is your typical Irish in that, like, like I would mean, you know, like as in just like kind of like they're like your cousins, you know, and you just wouldn't, you yeah. just don't consider them in any way like that, you know. <laughs> you wouldn't get off with them, like no, no, you're not going to get off with your cousin. That's embarrassing. No. So, like, I think the other countries, and maybe because a lot of the other countries are a bit sexier, aren't they? You know. South American countries and Sweden, like they're pretty hot. So whereas the Irish were just a bit like, like I swear to you, I cannot. I went to three Olympics and I don't know one example of of anybody hooking up. But mm. I know all the other countries are much more fun. 
And I'm not, it's not like we have some secret like Olympic Omerta where we all just won't say it. It just, I yeah, okay. say it. Unless maybe okay. no one wanted to get off with me and they were just all getting <laughs> off with each other. Don't tell me you it. failed at that as well. Yeah. Everybody, I have it on, I have it on absolutely strict testimony that everybody got off with each other over there. Actually, you were just left out. That's all terrible. Yeah. <laughs> nobody yeah. Was, and the sailor. Yeah. The nobody. sailor didn't get off with anybody either. So we just eventually, well, what I do tell people is myself and Peter's marriage is, um, Pat Hickey at the time was obviously the president of the Olympic Council, that he was running an experiment to connect Olympic sports to see ultimately what the results would be and that we're actually being paid thousands every year to stay together. Um, who would have been like your favourite Olympian oh. ever? Now, it could be Pavo Normi, it could be Lassie Viren, it could be Colin Jackson. I'm saying anytime. Who's your favourite Olympian? Because, I mean, OK, I'm a, like, right above my head here is a picture of Roger Federer. I know it's predictable. I have been following him all my life and I do genuinely admire the way he plays tennis and I also admire the way he carries himself off the court. Um, but was there somebody for you or not? If you, if you say no, don't don't tell me. You don't have to have an answer. No, I do have an answer. I have two people, but can I just briefly as an aside say that I would, yes, I understand your Federer love, but I have a lot of time for Andy Murray and I'm fascinated by Andy Murray's personality and who he is I think it's very interesting and yeah I have a lot of can I say two things about Andy Murray go on he's really funny mm-hmm. and people didn't know he was really funny they thought he was dull and he exactly. thought he was like that but it's actually really dry Scottish humor he's exactly. really hilarious yeah and the other one was he had a, f- a friend of mine had a hip operation and they had their hip replaced yes and their hip replaced by the same person that did Andy Murray's hip and Andy Murray's hip was done by the Queen's surgeon, who's a transsexual, a transsexual hip surgeon. The best mad ever. It's mad altogether. Yeah, mad. All- Both of them had their hips done. One fella in Dublin and Andy Murray. But anyway, go on. You, you'll have a like for Andy Murray, but do you have a favourite Olympian? Yes. Yeah, so um, t- so t- two people stand out. And I'm not just saying this because the go to answer. So I'm going to say the non-obvious one first would be Gail Devers. So do you remember Gail Devers? I do, yeah. Um, she was the was she was the sprinter. Was she a hurdler? She was, was the hurdler. So she was primarily a hurdler, but she never yeah, but she was won a sprinter as well. An Olympic title in the hurdles, but she won an Olympic title in the hundred meters in ninety two, and she won the Olympic. She defended it in ninety six. Really, really hard to defend any title. So to defend those titles is like unbelievable. But yet she was a hurdler, and I remember watching the ninety two Olympics with my dad would have been my first like visual representation of this is global sport like this is what sport is and I remember seeing her in the final Barcelona I remember that really dramatic opening ceremony it's all Barcelona and I remember watching that and then I was like watching like a week or so later you're watching all these track events and she fell at hurdle 10 so she's like winning and then she falls and it's all this slow-mo dramatic 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 and like the drama of it blew my mind. I was there, oh my God, this woman, this fabulously glamorous woman who should be the winner just fell. This other woman is celebrating. All these girls are so fat. And I had just jumped a hurdle and I was like in that, on my sitting room, in, tr- in running, in my running club. And yeah. I just remember it was just, it was really impactful to me. And recently I got introduced to Gail Devers and like on a podcast and then I'd like you know she's just like the nicest most humble 
genuine person ever. And I was there like, they were asking me like, oh, athletics memories. And I was like, honestly, Gail, like Gail, that the drama of that moment, like was massive for me. Um, and the fact that like she was the champion in the hundred and she wanted the hurdles title. And even in 2004, I'm almost certain she was in the Athens Olympics, like late 30s, when it was my first Olympic Games. I have to check that stuff, but I'm 99% sure. And even then, I remember seeing her in person. I definitely saw her in Paris at Worlds in 03 and just staring at her, being like, whoa, that's Gail Devers. Gail Devers is like the goat. Like, she's amazing, amazing. And then the other one is Sonia. And like, for me, Sonia was so, was such she was like a rock star like she was like a really proper famous person but she was famous for like running around the place and being unreal and very few people being able to beat her so as a kid growing up to me that was it was amazing and the fact that she was from Cork and stuff like you know you'd go for a day trip to Cove and it'd be all like Sonia's from here like Sonia like she felt it felt like you could almost touch her you know she was so close to your existence um and then it's really funny. So I did the coverage recently with Sonia. You know, I did the coverage in 2016 and I was, we were having a glass of wine. And I was telling her how like after the Athens Olympics, I emailed her to ask her for advice. And like she she was still then and still is now one of my heroes. Like even though now I'd be kind of friends with her, but she still would be one of my heroes. And I emailed her asking for all this advice. And she sent me that back, this amazing answer, really, really helped guide me. So I was there over a glass of wine telling her this recently. I'm like, oh, you know, you're so you're so helpful. And she genuinely looks at me and goes, God, I don't remember that email at all. <laughs> no, like, she's quite blunt. Sorry? Her bluntness came out quite well on the Olympics as well. Yeah, um, I enjoy with, her with Peter Collins and everything. She'd sort of cut him in two in a sort of an inadvertent way. And he'd, he'd be there because he's kind of a real presenter jock type. And he's there, OK, we go to the next part now. And Sonia would go, I don't think anything, I don't think that happened at all, Peter. And you go, right, let's move on to the 800 metres now. And anyway, with this conversation could go anywhere, right? So anywhere. I don't oh. care if, no, no, no. But if it, I don't care if, if things don't take off in terms of a certain subject doesn't light up because I just cut it out. Okay. So, um, but when I'm watching the Olympics, which I watched fastidiously, Okay, and I mean, I get in from early days from the swimming. I go straight into the swimming, and I, I start getting stuck in. Um, what's the pub? What's the pub? You can treat this question with the uh, with with the disdain it deserves, or you can choose to say I'm not interested in answering Mario or whatever. But what's the policy when it comes to talking about the whole D word, drugs? Like, so what's the policy in terms of like? You're watching it and you're going, OK, I'm really enjoying this evening with Dervil and Sonia and blah, and blah, blah, blah. I'm really enjoying it for what it is. Now, one of the things that nobody's talking about uh, tonight is drugs. And so I just I'll ignore it myself and, I, and I'll enjoy it as a watcher. What is the try and talk, t- talk me around that process? What's the like, do you have editorial like maybe you can't tell me this. Do you have editorial meetings where you all decide, well, we won't be talking about that. We'll just ignore it. That is out there. We know it's out there to a greater or lesser extent. We're not going to make that part of the broadcast. Or is there a thing where you go, no, we will talk about it. If you do talk about it, if you want to or don't. Or is there a thing where you do talk about it? Because surely we are all still under that cloud, uh, 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 Derville. So just tell me, talk around the subject if you can. This is an interesting one. I can just talk directly on it because we've like never... Never have I gotten any sort of direction of what I can or can't talk about, which in many ways I find hilarious. Because I'm like, I could go on and do anything now. Like, obviously, at this point, they probably assume I won't. 
But so I doubt Rob and Sonia are getting editorial saying, don't talk about this. So we, so no. when, when we're on there, like we're, we kind of have free range to do what we want. And then I also yeah. do a gig um, for World Athletics where I do, I do some commentary for them. Exact same with World Athletics. It's like, so anyway, the, the meet starts at this time. Best to look at the commentary. Like there's no like, do they say this? We don't get, we don't, I've never ever gotten that. So when it comes to the drugs thing, myself and Sonia and Rob would talk about drugs a lot. Um, not a lot, as in what I mean is we'd cover it, like not necessarily always on air. So you have a couple of problems there. So say if, say if there's someone competing, right, and there's loads of rumors and speculation about them, I can't go on air and start saying, well, you know, apparently I know your man who gives her a massage and the brother of this. So, so you can't like you have to be very careful, and you can like you can't be throwing muck when you do, if because you don't until someone tests positive, you can. I don't think, regardless of the legalities of it, I don't think you can say it publicly unless someone ter- no. tests. No, what about saying this? Though I get it. You're dead right. Legally, of course, you'd have no 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 le- no legs to stand on. Now that's perfectly normal. What about the idea of? Oh, I don't know. Uh, what about the idea of going, if somebody asked you on TV, well, Derville, the whole uh, Olympics is now coming to an end and we are nearing the end of the Olympics so you can leave a little sting like a last wasp of summer and tell us, was this whole Olympics juiced? <laughs> yeah, see, this is the other thing, right? I, mm-hmm. so myself, myself and Robin Sonny had like really, one of the most enjoyable things for me about the Olympics was after the coverage at night, drinking a glass of wine at Robin Sonia and talking about okay, what do you genuinely think about this? Like stuff that like, cause you don't, I'm always mindful when I'm doing the coach. First of all, I'm mindful that the Irish athletes, their parents and their families and their supporters are watching. And I'm very mindful that like, they're not, they're doing this cause they love it. And that you have to be careful. Like, so I'm always, I never want, I never want to feel like I'm cutting somebody. I always want to be honest, but mindful of people have feelings. I think that's important. Um, even though maybe that doesn't make me the best analyst, but I am like that. But so I suppose, then we talk about other things. But one of the things we always come back to is the drugs. And the three of us genuinely have this opinion that it's really easy to say everybody's on drugs, right? It's really easy. It's really easy to be like, oh, the only reason I got beaten was because they were on drugs, that person was on drugs. My experience, I was in it for 14 years, was that there might have been a percentage, and this is totally guessing, right, just from experience, yeah. that like, if I lined up with eight girls how in a world final, say, how many of those eight would I thought, mm, maybe now you're doing something a bit shady? Maybe one. Maybe one out of the eight. But a lot of the time, I would have thought none out of the eight. And often, like, often, well, actually not often, loads of the time, I was beaten by women who were just way better. Like, so for me, and like myself, Robin Sonia talk about a lot in that, like, if you do everything right, say as an Irish athlete, right? If you do everything right, a lot of t- if you're if you're talented and if you're actually are doing everything right, you'll get close. Like you know, you will get close. You'll knock on the door, and like, but if you're not doing everything right, and then you're saying everybody's on drugs, you're never going to get close. So the whole drug thing, like I like in 2010, I went into European Championships with a really big chance to win it. But there was a Turkish girl at the time who was dominating, but she kind of come from nowhere and Turkey wouldn't have had a great reputation. And everybody wanted to talk to me about the Turkish girl. Everybody wanted, like, how do I feel about it? Well, 
what was I going to do? Like, was I going to literally leave my lane, rugby tackle her to the ground and drag her off the start line? Like, I don't police the sport. So I was there. So I just used to shut it down. I remember I remember having a, maybe a 30 second conversation with my coach Sean about it, going, everyone's banging on about Turkish girl and him going, you can't control it. You, you control your lane. And what you do is you show up on the day of a European final and you bury her. That's what you do. You just be better. You're just, be- you just be, you're good enough to be better. So why are you looking for an excuse not to win? And I was like, grand. Good point, yeah. And that's how we handled it. But what actually happened was I turned up, ran the fastest I'd ever run in my life, and she won it by two hundredths of a second. And she tested positive two years later, and she tested positive twice afterwards. But I never got that European title in 2010 because she didn't test positive on the day. But like, that's the only time, and that's in 14 years where I really felt like, I'm not, I'm not happy, but I also still go back to the fact of going, if I had gone down that road that everybody wanted me to go down of obsessing about it, what would have happened is I would have come last in the final. Whereas I ran, the time I ran that day is still the Irish record. It was probably, probably one, it is because it's Irish, it's probably my best race of my career. And I honestly felt like I won that day, celebrated hard, had a great time and it annoyed me, but I couldn't control it. And I still can't. Con- it's not like I can go back to the video and edit her out of it. Like I probably could, though. People are good at editing now. So maybe. Oh, they are. Photoshop is great these days. <laughs> so are you saying on the one of the biggest days of your career, you ran a personal best and an Irish record? Yeah, I ran all my Irish records at championships. I never really ran one yeah. outside of a champs. Isn't that fantastic? Sorry, I know that sounds part patronizing <laughs> when I say that. <laughs> but isn't it fantastic that you because isn't it fantastic that at the moment when it mattered, you produced the best that was in your body. Yeah, I think, but that was the kick for me. That was sort of the essence of why I did it. I liked the fact that you could have a day that everybody was watching, that everybody, you could have, you could literally go to your diary in September and go to the next July or August, pick the day of the European final, the world final, the Olympic final, and you would know this day, every girl in the world that's working their arses off for the next 11 months are going to show up on this day and try and be their best. I'm going to show up and try and be better. And everybody's going to be watching and I'm going to try and pull that off. And that's what motivated me. Like it really, really, really. And it motivated me from when I was a kid. Like when I, when I was under 20 and I ran at like world under twenties, I came, I was useless. Like I came like 15th or 16th, but I ran an Irish record on that day when I was, European under 23 I didn't make a final but I ran an Irish record on that day and that's just how so that's how I started my career going I'm gonna know that day and I'm always gonna be ready on that day and if I'm not ready on that day it means I'm injured or sick but I will never show up on that day and not be ready because mentally I don't have it or it's not the fight like that's the fight I wanted that's the fight I wanted to show up with so I think I think in life you're invited to like loads of different fights for loads of different things and I'm like this is the dogfight I want to be in. I want to be in the dogfight for medals and for titles because at the end of the day, even with the records, like, okay, they stand now, but hopefully eventually they won't stand, but the medals will still be there somewhere. And those days of like the biggest fight. So for me, I used to always have this thing with my coach where I'd say, if I don't run my Irish record on that day, I don't care about running an Irish record in the year. Like I don't want to run an Irish record a week later in Zurich. I don't want to run an Irish record in Italy in Rieti two weeks at the end I have to run an Irish record when the eyes are on and the lights are bright because why would you bother otherwise yeah uh, brilliant well said there's actually another message there from somebody on the phone oh, who wants good. to talk to you Excited. Um, have a guess who it is actually 
Hmm. Jesus, how can you guess? I can't. You can't guess? No. I was. It's Davy Fitzgerald wants a word. Oh, you my You worked him on buddy. Irish Fittest Families. Say hello to him. Hi, Davy. How are you? Are you okay? How's it going, Darvin? Listen, <laughs> look it. I'll tell you this now for nothing. You're sounding great on the podcast, okay? I won't take that from you. But listen, we got to address the issue of Ireland's fittest family, okay? Now, listen, I'm not saying nothing, okay? I'm just saying there's something really, 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 really dodgy going on when you're managing families. I don't know what kind of stuff you're giving them, but no, they're okay. performing at a level which is absolutely off the scale. Oh. And I don't know now what you're giving them, if it's bananas or something out of your shopper or something out of Durville.ie. But these people, they're running at levels, they're jumping over stuff like animals. No, 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 I'm telling you, Durville... Daniel Darwin, no, 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 no. And the next time I see you, I tell you, I'm going to get stuck into you. Hey, Daniel, 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 did you know that? Yeah, but he's he's the only person I know with eight phones. Yeah, no, no. He has he definitely has eight <laughs> He phones. has eight mobiles. I have him saved in my phone. One of his numbers is probably not even the one he uses as Davy Dealer Fitz. <laughs> um, and I, I tried to ring it recently and it didn't work. So clearly it's one of the phones he's like that had to get rid of or bury somewhere. But um the fact that he plays recreational tennis though, I find absolutely hilarious. Can't imagine it. He says he's uh, relaxed well, when he plays. Does he play with a racket? <laughs> he plays doubles apparently because he was trying to convince me to come to Clare to play tennis with him. Right, and actually, you probably think it's like one of those things. You probably think somebody's just messing with you, or, or, or well, I don't know. I don't like know. I don't know. I feel like why is he trying to lure me there to play tennis? It, it, I, there yeah. could be something else going on. I don't. I'm not trusting the invite yet. Derv, the next question I was going to ask you is. Which person would you like to be for a day? <laughs> well, and that was just a completely impulsive, off the top of my head yeah, question. I thought that was very organically done. Um, so this question is actually difficult because there's a lot of people I'd like to be for a day because I'm very nosy. And um, I find people really interesting. And I would love to see things through other people's eyes. So I, there was, there was a few people, okay, I kind of want to talk about all the people I want to be for a day, but we can't be here for five hours because no one will listen. So let's just go with the queen because I met the queen once. Um, oh yeah, where? Um, it was in, you know, that big fancy building on the quays in Dublin with all the glass out the front, what's it called? Guinness Storehouse? No, you know, it's all the glass, the big one. The Customs House? Is it Conference Centre or something? Oh, the Conference Centre, yeah. It's probably okay. just what it's called. So I thought it might have a fancier name. <laughs> the Customs House. There's yeah. me talking about a 17th century yeah, building yeah, no. with all the, the glass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, that was made. They made that with Google and Facebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. I met her there in probably one of the stranger moments of my life where, you know, when you're in these moments and you're like, my life is really weird at times. Pat Hickey introduced me to the Queen. Um, he was all, this is Gerald O'Rourke, she runs for the country. And she was all just, you know, just kind of, she, I don't think she really said anything. Um, but I, after that, I just became, I didn't really care that much about her life before that. And then I was like, oh my God, this woman, like, 
wanders around all these everyone stops what they're doing and I just I kind of would like to be here for a day like I'd like to wake up as the queen what happens in that moment do you have an alarm clock just do you just wake up whenever you want like then are you served your breakfast in bed and then obviously with the whole like Harry and Meghan situation like what's your real opinion of all that like are you ringing Harry abusing him like like what's happening there so uh, yeah 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 I just like a little insight into it I would like to know more than I know and then I went to London bef- right before um, we all couldn't go anywhere and I was just outside the palace and I never, ever cared about the royals until recently. And I was just standing yeah. there staring up going like, what are you doing now, the queen? Like, like her exist. I just think, you know, you can look at most people and you can kind of relate to them. You can be like, oh, yeah, they probably do this. Yes. There is nothing I can relate to about the queen's existence. There's nothing she does. She likes dogs. I like dogs. Outside of that. I can't, yeah, well, it was interesting. But it was interesting though when because when you when you went to London and you looked into the Buckingham Palace, you went, "I met her." There's um, my friend. Would I? I might call in. Yes. Oh no, no, you can't really. Do you remember we met? Do you remember me? Do you remember we met in Dublin. Um, do you remember? Yeah. So do you not remember? And I said, "No, I don't remember." Where, where was it exactly? It was remember in the big glass house. It was like the customs house or something. Why <laughs> would the customs house be glass? Oh no, no, it wasn't. It was. And you said, you didn't say much to me. You just sort of nodded your head. Did I? You nodded your head. Do you remember Pat Hickey? No. Pat Hickey, you were standing beside him. He said, I ran for art. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Leave me alone. That's what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. I want to call into her house and do that. And be like, come on, you know me. We're friends. Stop pretending we're not friends. Brilliant. Can I briefly Durable, see my listen, other you... one? Or do you want to go? Yeah, go on. The, the, no, no, no. Go on. The other person you'd like to meet. Or be, sorry. Rather, the other person yeah. I would like to be for a day is um, Christian Horner. You know, the Formula One, the guy who does like, who's like the team principal of Formula One with Red Bull Racing. No. Are you into F1? No. I wasn't. It's only a recent thing. And I just find F1 mad. I just feel like, all the money, all the pressure on this, like these drivers, the size of the team. So the Netflix docs on F1 are really, really good. And they hooked me in and he's in a lot of them. And then I just think for him to be like the puppeteer of all this team to get these two drivers to go really fast in these cars, essentially risk their lives. Like the pressure that he must be under in his mind to make those calls. Like how could you literally be in someone's ear telling them going faster into a corner? Um, And then... On top of all that, he's married to Jerry Halliwell, the Spice Girl. I mean, okay, yeah. wild. It's, it's just pictures in your head. It's creating great pictures in your head, isn't it? It's too much. And if you add that to the fact that there is no question in my mind that Jerry Halliwell and possibly Christian Horner also met the Queen. They did. We should all be It's friends. unbelievable. You're forming a little community. Listen, there's one, there's one final phone call, Derville. Go on. And uh, it's from Cork, actually. And uh, it's from a lady called Dervil. Oh. It's from a lady called Derv. Oh, would you like to meet her? <laughs> okay. Hey, Derv. It's Derv. Um, I just want to get across one message today. And it's that I'm actually really, really sound. <laughs> People don't realise how sound I am. Like, they think I'm really competitive. I love talking about the Olympics. Uh, I'm all about my site, gerbil.ie, but I'm actually really, really sound. Oh, and yeah. not everybody knows that. That's amazing, Derville. So, Mario, if you could get that out in your podcast, yep. that would be super. 
No problem, Durf. No Thank problem. You. No problem. Anything else that you want to Also, oh. bits people don't know about me. Oh. I love going out in the boat. Okay. I love meeting Donica. Oh, Donica. Flat whites all the time. Oh, great. And talking to Mairead. Mar- yeah. Mairead, Ron. Mairead. That's great. great. Lovely. Derv, thank you very much. That was Derv from Cork Derville. Oh. Um, saying hello to you. There's a lot of people, obviously, like you down in Cork Derville who are, who are um, admir- in admiration of you. Well, so basically, Mairead Ronan does me better than I do myself. So sometimes when we're filming Ireland's Fittest Family, I actually say to her, Mairead, what should I say here? And she's like, just tell them this. Because <laughs> I always oh, say Oh, yeah, she does, she does you, yeah? She does me. She does me. That's and great. she tells me how to be me in that moment. Just go over there and tell them, listen, this doesn't make a lick of sense, but you've got to go up that hill, jump those hay bales as fast as you can. And just go That's through. brilliant. And actually, I was I was loved her impression. I thought that was a brilliant impression. That was Mairead Ronan there. Actually, do you know what we're going to leave on? We're going to leave on um, something that you go to for a laugh now that we've just had a laugh. But uh, and I was loving your choice here because it's one of my favorites as well. And not the um, it's not actually one of the most popular of the Will Ferrell movies, but it's a little classic. And what's it called, Derv? Blades of Glory. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. And it's hilarious. And your favourite bit, it's about ice skating and uh, it's about figure skating, rather. It is about figure skating. It's so ridiculous, but yet so hilarious. And um, if I'm ever in a bad mood, my husband literally looks at me and he goes, I swear to God, if you cut my head off. And then I just can't take whatever scenario we're in seriously because the idea of us doing a synchronized ice skate and him cutting my head off with his blades, yeah. it's just blades, so yeah. I just think I would encourage every, no, so it's it's niche, like not everybody loves this. So I would encourage people to sit down, watch it from start to finish and just be open minded to the hilarity of it. Yeah, no, it's Will Ferrell, I think, in top form, to be honest, and so, uh, the lad from Napoleon Dynamite as well. Um, you know, another really good, really good one and bit in that is when he's, you know, when his career is falling apart and he's done, he's ice skating for the children and he's getting sick in his costume because he's been out oh, drinking yeah. all night. That's a particularly yeah. funny part for me. And what is lovely about watching Will Ferrell as well is that kind of his body isn't really the shape of a figure skater and he looks fantastic in the skin tight stuff oh my god it's it's just brilliant listen Derv that's it I'm really delighted and lovely to meet you today and thanks a million for sharing with me Um, thanks for having me it's been a pleasure And there it is. Thanks a million to Dervil O'Rourke. I really enjoyed talking to Dervil. And check out Dervil.ie. It's a brilliant platform and a great community of people. And as you've just heard, the lady behind it is a force of nature and determined to help us all be healthier, fitter and happier. And good luck to her. My thanks as always to Curry's PC World for their great support. Thank you, Curry's. And make sure to check out the Ryder Cup special with Conor Moore, um, which I just released a couple of days ago. Get in touch with me, as I said earlier, mariorosenstock at gmail.com. I read them all and I get back to them all. Take it easy. See you same time, same place next week.